If you would, go with me in your copy of Scripture. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, we have some that are right under the basket in front of you. Uh, Go to Genesis and chapter 17. Now, if you've been with us uh, for the past uh, year, you'll know that what we've been emphasizing is actually preaching from the Old Testament. So what happened to me was I went back and just sort of listened to the very beginning of each of my sermons from 2014. I'm like, man, I was in the New Testament a lot. And so, and so the Lord said, hey, yeah, I want you to actually come from the Old Testament in 2015 every single Sunday. Now, you know, uh, I love the Old Testament, but it actually has been challenging at times because, I, you know, I, the Lord's like, okay, I want you to preach on this. I'm like, oh, I got a Paul. I got a Paul scripture right there ready. Let's do it. I, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. Where'd Paul get that idea? Oh, you want me to go search it out in the Old Testament? Okay, all right, well, let's, let's, let's dig in. Let's find out. So, it's been quite an adventure for us. We're going to find ourselves this morning in the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. And chapter 17, if you'll notice here, these words starting with verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old... Remember in chapter 12 when he's called, he's 75. It's been quite a while since he received that promise that he was going to have a son, and he's not getting any younger. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you." And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourners, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or brought or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Would you enlighten us by your spirit? Would you call us? Would you set us on a path with you this morning and help us to say Yes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever noticed or not, but the Bible has some PG-13 rated material in it. You know what I mean? You ever read portions of the Bible where you're like, ooh, that wouldn't be suitable for children? Um, really a lot of the, you know, kind of a lot of the um, kids' stories that make it into these, these little Bibles are actually 
Boy, if you really read the whole story, sometimes I'm afraid we kind of shortchange the story. It's like, oh, look at the animals to the detriment of all humanity, right? It's like, well, you know, a lot of people died, actually. So how do we actually communicate that to children, you know? Or where this woman drives a stake through somebody's head and God blesses her and she sings a song about it. And you're thinking, I don't know if that's suitable for kids. And so I've found these PG-13 parts in the Bible. I've even found R-rated stuff in the Bible, quite frankly. There's some stuff that just really is just, it's going to be mature behavior. I mean, you know, you're going to have to really, and, and really for me, one of these things is, is this thing a circumcision? I mean, what do you do with that? How, what do you make of that? Why in the world? I remember reading this as a kid, and I'm like, yeah, that's just one of them words that who knows what it means. Once somebody told me, I was like, what in the world is that in there for? What are we doing here? Where are we going? Are we falling in the gutter? What's going on? As a kid, I just... I, I heard Paul, I'm like, it's even in the New Testament. You know, there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament we just sort of, ask, ah, you know, we kind of give it a slot. Yeah, some weird people. And, but when we get to New Testament, we're like, okay, well now we're dealing with people who are civilized and this and that, which, by the way, is wrong-headed. Um, but nonetheless, we feel more comfortable. But then I'm like, man, circumcision is like a key thing even in the New Testament. What in the world is going on? And as you know, I teach... Uh, I teach religion at Calhoun, and in, uh, in my class, I actually have to cover circumcision, not from a biblical standpoint, but also African circumcision and tribal religion, which is, we're not going to go there today, that's R-rated, okay? But the times I have gone there, one of the students, excuse me, he, uh, he was actually sleeping, had his hand down his pants, he was out cold, you know, up front row, and uh, I said, you know... Abraham uh, had to be circumcised. And he said, circumcision? Just in, in the middle of class, just woke up all of a sudden from his stupor and yelled out circumcision. And then just this past week, I was talking about circumcision again, and a student began seizing before me uh, and had a, had, a, had a minor seizure. And so I don't know how it's going to go today for you, but uh, we're actually going to hit this thing of uh, circumcision a little bit today. And so just uh, understand, this is a little PG-13 today. Uh, maybe a little, a little R-rated at times, but the short of it is this. We are humans. We are not animals only. We are humans. We are not angels. That's why things like circumcision make it into the Bible. And things like staying clean and trying to, here's where you do this in the camp and you don't do that here and you should wear this and you should not do that and wash your hands here. That's why is because we are actually made of matter. And like it or not, you're in a body. You've been given a body. And this body is quite a fascinating thing. Uh, we actually um, have some physicians among us, and they could tell us much more than I could about the human body. We have some nurses with us, and they could tell us a whole lot about the human body that would fascinate you. And guess what? God created that body. Here's the crazy thing. God actually likes that body. He actually formed the body with His own hands. Now, now, now catch this. He spoke everything else into existence. Let there be light. Let the stars be there. Let the seasons be there. And He spoke it and it happened. It's not the way He created mankind. He actually reached down with His own hands and formed us out of the dust of the ground. And then, He didn't even stop there. Then, that was enough right there just to be actually 
customized, if you will, by God. It's not enough. He actually breathed within us His Spirit, His breath. You know, humans are absolutely unique. We are unrepeatable, but that's not the message that the myths have ever given. It's not the message that our society gives. It's not the message that governments give about people. Is not that you are valuable. Maybe even companies you could add into that mix. It's just not many places in the world that are actually going to look at the body and say, <clears throat> boy, that's a good thing. Actually, to be honest with you, there are no other religions that have not been out influenced by the Old Testament that actually believe the body is a good thing. You cannot bring me one religion ever created that does not believe in the Old Testament again that would say the body is good. Hinduism, eh, the body is hell, literally. You're in bondage to a body. You go from body to body. And as soon as you're freed, you go into Brahma, so on and so forth. Buddhism, nope. Got to transcend the body. If you could just forget about the body, enlighten yourself to realize that you actually are God, then you're free. On and on the religions go, every one of them poking holes in the body saying, this is bad, this is dirty, this is nasty. If we could just transcend matter, then that is salvation. That's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible says that matter matters to God. He created it. And He looked at it and said, that is good. He looked at the whole thing and said, that is actually very good. I mean, he's looking at his own work and making an evaluation and analysis. And saying, Man, that's, I mean, you ever done that before? Like, I do it all the time. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm self-centered, but like when I cut my grass and the rows are perfect, I look at that stuff and I'm like, that is a good job right there. I mean, I'm not, I'm not looking for somebody. I'm not looking for somebody. Uh, yeah, okay, all right. And I walk inside. I'm like, hey, guys, what do y'all think about that grass? Yeah, yeah, whatever. You know, we're going to trample it here in a few minutes, you know? I asked Jessica. I'm like, hey, doesn't that look good, man? God says, look, this is good. Matter is good. Body is good. Humans are good. I like this. And then, of course, we fell. And it wasn't just we fell out of the chair. That would have just been a little bruise, contusion. Uh, but instead, we fell really far. Like, we fell off the Empire State Building. We made a real mess. You fall off the Empire State Building, it's not going to be much to repair. Here, I'm, you know, doctors going to come over and say, okay, dead, check, done. Not, not much to repair. And yet God says, no, 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 no. You're not a lost cause. You're not a lost cause. But the answer is not knowledge. You see, in the Bible, the Bible's not a book of philosophy. Thankfully, right? You ever read philosophy? The Bible's not just a book of laws. There's a lot of narrative and stories in the Bible, a lot of crazy stories in the Bible, a lot of fascinating stories in the Bible. And so it's not just this boring book, but instead it's going to point us to a reality, and that is we need more than just knowledge to be saved. We need more than just a transcendence of the body and matter. Instead, our body also must be saved along with our soul. 
You see, this is a common heresy and wrong-headed thinking in Christianity is that your body is over here and your soul is over here and that you are divided. And that you just need to be saved in your soul doesn't really matter what the body does. You can be mean to people. You can have bad attitudes. You're hungry. You're tired. You're late. Your body's dragging behind. You're kind of dragging this body along. It's okay to have those mess-ups. Your body's evil anyway. That's not the way the Bible looks at it. It's not what Jesus actually calls us to. And in the end, there will be a resurrection when we are separated at death from our body. That's not the end. You're actually going to get your body, that body right there that you're sitting in, right there. That's picking up on the sound waves, you know, it's coming through your ear and that whole process, right? That body right there is going to be resurrected one day, put back together. And you're going to be judged for what you do in your body. Your body is a great indicator of what's going on in here. So I, I can't see your soul, I can see your body. So when you do certain things in your body, you might even surprise yourself sometimes. You ever done that before? Man, this is awful. Or maybe the good things that you've done. Like the other day, I had a pretty good run. I'm like, ah, right on. Didn't realize my body could do that, right? You know? So here's the deal. We are created in God's image. Angels are not. Angels are His messengers. We are His image. So last week, we talked about humans not being just animals. We're not just this brute animal that's just trying to survive. Instead, we're more than that. We're deeper than that. We have a soul. There's a spiritual side to us. There's a place that was created for God only in our hearts. And until that place has God in it, we will never be fulfilled in this life. We'll never be happy or joyous, living victorious. You see, we are both body and spirit. Matter and soul. Physical and spiritual. There's not another creation like that. The animals are all on the physical side. The angels are all on the spiritual side. That's why, again, in Psalms, uh, in the Psalms, you'll see several pictures. One night, uh, sorry, 19 and 8. You have two different pictures of how we are sort of hanging between heaven and earth. He creates the heavens, He creates the earth, and we're just hanging between both. I mean, you know how this works. We, we think, man, I'm, I'm a pretty smart guy, you know, or girl. I'm pretty smart at what I do. I do a good job here, and this and that. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have some kind of thing that prevents us in our body from doing what we would like to do. And it shakes us into reality. It's the same thing with kids. Oh, look how cute that kid is. And it's like... What is that dead thing smell in here? And you got to change a dirty diaper. Dirty diapers ought to remind us that we are leaking as humans. We're leaking. We're dying. Yeah, there's something dead smelling because, yeah, we produce that. We are dying. And yet, in here, we feel as alive as we... I mean, you've always, you always hear older people saying, I, you know, look, I still feel like I'm younger, but my body, my body... This is Abraham, wasn't it? Abraham's 75 years old when he gets the call and God says, hey, I'm going to give you, a, you know, make you famous and all this stuff, give you a bunch of land and also I'm going to make you um, a great multitude of people. 
He's like, okay, right on. Well, you better hurry up because, I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm 75, you know, and pharmaceutical stuff is way off the line right now. Um, we're way away from that. And so now he's 99. All but given up almost. Still trying to hold on. God, um, remember that promise you gave me? When, when's that going to come about? Because, uh, boy, Sarah's not getting any, any younger either. God says, I got this. going to teach you something here, Abraham. And in 15, actually, he makes a covenant with Abraham. And it's a powerful scene here. You ought to read that on your own time today. And then in 17, he comes to visit God. And uh, boy, this thing of, of, of his visit with God. You ever really thought about this? This story where he comes and he says, Hey, I'm going to look, me and you going to be in covenant. Abraham's like, hey, I love that relationship again. That's God's answer, by the way, to his salvation is always a relationship. Not just more knowledge. Not just you doing something moral, following the law, following the rules. Instead, it's a person. God always sends a person. And you know that. But instead, notice, notice what happened. He goes, I'm going to make you into a multitude of people. So he changes his name, actually. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Now, that really is symbolic in the ancient world when you change your name like that to actually a conversion or some kind of transformation in your life. So, even in India today, um, you know, I, uh, I, as you know, I've been in India twice now. And so, when I was there this past time, I, uh, I met a guy. I'm like, hey, what's your name? He says, Moses. Oh, wow. Never met anybody named Moses. He said, well, my real name is Abikan. I said, I'm sorry, excuse you? Uh, did you sneeze? Uh, no, that's my name, Abikan. And so, but his Christian name is Moses. Why? Because his Hindu name is Abikan. He's new in Christ, and so he took a Christian name, which is actually Moses. It's a pretty awesome name, you know? It's kind of the one that I'd want. Um, God says, I'm going to change your name, Abram. You, Abram, in yourself are impotent. You're unable to do this. You're unable in your own power to produce a son, your offspring. It's not going to happen. But I'm about to change your name because I'm about to change you. And you will not be known as some impotent old man without any kids. But instead, everybody will know you by Father Abraham. Have many sons, right? Many sons had... Remember that song? Hey man, I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right on, right on. You know, all that kind of stuff. And you fall down at the end. Everybody knows Abraham. You say, you say, I don't know if God's promises really came true for Abraham. Look, I was... In 2005, I was in Barnes & Noble and none other than Abraham's on the front page of Time magazine. Right there, in a nice red robe. Somebody snapped a photo of it. Um... And there he was in 2005. You're telling me that God didn't make him famous? Oh yeah, He made him famous. That land He gave him, still under controversy, isn't it? Turn on the news today, I guarantee you won't go through a whole hour cycle without hearing that land brought up. And not only that, He gave him many nations and kings from Him. There's, there's uh, over 2 billion Christians in the world. There's over 1 billion, almost 2 billion Muslims in the world. Both of them call Abraham their father. That's half the world, you realize, right? Oh, yeah. God gave him many, many sons. He changed his name. And 
a name change is what we need. Now, have you ever noticed how powerful a, a name makes? How much of a difference it really makes? You remember Cecil, don't you? The lion? I mean, look, there's lions that die all the time. And there's other animals that are even more endangered than even lions that die all the time. But why did Cecil blow up on Facebook and social media? Why did we cry over Cecil, you know, and all this kind of stuff? Even in the midst of aborted babies. Even in the midst of the crisis in Africa. Even in the midst of awful atrocities happening elsewhere in the world. Why did Cecil grab our attention? Because he was given a name. That's why. He was given a name. And the Planned Parenthood videos that came out, uh, you know, if you notice, wording is everything to the enemy. The enemy understands the power of words. And you're a fool if you think words don't matter. They can change someone's life perspective. Whole wars have been fought over words. God created by words. And it's all fine as long as you don't use certain words like baby. Tissue is fine. Embryo is fine. Fetus is fine. But don't talk about that being a baby. And yet I saw my own child this past week as we were doing it, as they were doing a sonogram, yawn in the womb at 16 weeks. I've never seen anything like that. My dad was sitting there. He'd never seen anything like that. Powerful to see a person in there. They're not tissue. They're just embryo. Fetus? Do you know where fetus comes from? That's Latin for offspring. Now, what the Bible just said about Abraham? His fetus. You're going to have a lot of fetuses, Abraham. A lot of offspring. Words matter, my friends. And you can, you know, I feel like, I feel like all those that are still defending are kind of like Wiley, the coyote. You remember, he kind of walks off the cliff and he's just sort of in the air and he still acts like he's running. And he's like, and then all of a sudden, right? Because they're not basing it on anything. It's a lie. The enemy's plan is always a lie. And they'll draw us out over the abyss through this lying. And you can repeat a lie until people leave it. It's still a lie. It's still a lie. You can keep saying fetus. It's a baby. That's a baby. That's a person. You say, how do you know that, man? You can't, that's just a secular argument. You shouldn't even be bringing that kind of stuff up. Oh, I'm sorry, the Bible does. You ever heard of the eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Everybody brings up. Do you know what that's concerning? That's not concerning me and you getting into a fight. That's concerning a pregnant woman. In the Old Testament it says if, if a pregnant woman gets hit while two men are fighting and the baby comes out without an eye, you're about to lose an eye. Without a limb, you're losing your limb. Dead, you're going to die. Even in the Old Testament before sonograms or 4D or whatever else, ultrasound, whatever they call it, um, God is saying, you better protect the person in there. Not only that, not only that. Jesus, we just said it together. You just said it. And that is, He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That's when His humanity began, at conception. This is a biblical 
argument, not a secular, medical, whatever, scientific argument. As long as you keep it scientific, we're fine. That's what our culture will say, but we must push past that. This is not just uh, a chicken breast there. Instead, if you give them a name, you're not talking about selling a person. And with the technology that's coming down the line, ever since sonogram come out, abortions have started going down if you ever get a sonogram. If you could just get somebody that's considering abortion a sonogram and see that baby yawn, move, feel pain, respond to light, respond to sounds. I'm telling you that it's overwhelming they'll pull back. Why? Because that person is loved. That person is named. That's a human being. They are known by someone. They're just not a dead piece of meat or a piece of tissue that can be bought or sold in the grocery store, but instead, that's a person. That's why Cecil got so much fanfare, because they named a lion. But you know what the Bible says? In Isaiah 43.1, God says to us, I have called you by name, and you are mine. That's everybody. Before you were born, He called you by name. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth. In the womb. You see, even John the Baptist, the Bible says, was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Before He was born is what it says in Luke 1.15. And as the enemy always does... All the enemy can do is parody what God does. Leech off of what God does. He cannot create anything new. He just has to destroy what is already created. And that's why the mantra in the pro-choice movement is, this is my body. It's what you hear. This is my body. You tell me, this is my body. You know what this table represents? Christ saying to us, this is my body. The enemy has tricked us, lied to us. Under the rubric of women's rights, and more women are aborted than any in the world, all over the world. It's sickening. It's what the enemy does. He lies. You know what God does? He changes our name. He changes Abraham's name. He produces life where there's death. Now look. Say you've had an abortion. You know what? God's ready to change your name. Amen. Say you've messed up in the past. You've done things that you can't even forgive yourself. God's ready to forgive you. He's smiling at you with open arms. And it ought to bring us to our knees. Brings me to my knees because I don't deserve even a look from God. And yet, He wants to share everything with us. <laughs> he would make us God Himself if He could. I'm convinced of it. He wants to make us like Himself. That's why He created us like Him. You see, we are His offspring. The angels are not. That's why we're not angels. We actually have Adam as our offspring, but you know what? Christ is also our offspring, isn't He? We're from Him. We're from Him. That's why Paul will later say in the New Testament, he says, look, yes, through Adam, 
all people failed. Through Adam, we received death. Through Adam, all kind of bad stuff happens. But you know what? There's another Adam. Jesus. He's the last Adam. And He brings life to all people. To everybody. In other words, no one in this room, no one you've ever met has not been touched by the Son. Yeah, that's an analogy both ways. Uh S-O-N. This is what John John says in John 1. I love it. It's powerful. He He says, look, He's the light that comes into the world and He lights every person. Now, in the, in the Greek, that term every means every. It means, say it in, in kind of southern draw, everybody. Just smash it together, everybody. That's what it means in Greek. Let me transliterate that for you. It means everybody has the light of Christ that they can respond to. I, you say, how do you know that? How does that work? I, <laughs> uh, that's, that's beyond me, beyond my pay grade. But that's what he says. And I believe it. And we ought to treat every person we meet as if they have that light that they can respond to. Didn't Jesus treat people like that? Even while they crucified Him, He said, Lord, please forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You see, the enemy's not people. It's not who the enemy is. The people are the victims We've already established that a couple weeks back. The people are the victims. And our job is to forgive them. To have mercy. To show grace. To give good news. Even when it's not deserved. Because that's what He's done for us. That's what He did for me. (laughs) Now, so angels, you know, again, angels are not created in the image of God. And they are not the offspring. They don't have have offspring, I should say. They don't have sex. Um, anytime you see male and female angels, that, that's not biblical. We don't know. They sound like male names only. There are no female names that we know of. Um, but but uh, there you go. Now, here's the third thing, last thing, is this. And this is where it gets a little, little interesting. Um, not only does God change His name and give Abraham a bunch of offspring, but He also says, look, Abraham, I want to actually give you a sign of our relationship. You know, like a symbol, like a ring, right? So, so when I got married, you know, we put this ring on it. Don't really take it off except for to play with it, you know, in my hand because it's just a nervous whatever. Um, and so this is a symbol of our marriage, right? And so God says, come to here and say, I want to actually give you a sign that other people can see to know that we're in a relationship. God's not a teenager trying to cover it up, say, hey, let's, let's be girlfriend, boyfriend, but don't tell anybody. You know what I mean? He's like, no, I want you to tell everybody. And I want to put a sign on you so that you can actually show the world who I am. Everyone's says, oh, hey, hey, let's do this, man. I'm game on. You know what I'm saying? Like, you put it on my forehead? Like, because that's probably like most visible. You know what I mean? No, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. Well, probably the hand, right? Because, I mean, you know, shake hands. Everybody's going, hey, what's that? You know, so. No, no, no. Oh, well, well, God, where in the world do you go? Oh. There? Really? Circumcision? I still hear that kid waking up from his stupor. Circumcision? You know. Um, and God says, I want you to circumcise yourself. Did you forget that Abraham's 99 years old? 
I don't know much about the medical field compared to some, but I know they didn't have the same kind of anesthesia we did today. Um, And he not only says that, every offspring from you will be circumcised, Abraham. (laughs) Now you, like me, are asked the same thing, and that is, how in the world does cutting there show the world anything about God? I mean, that's the most hidden, private part on the male body. How in the world is that going to be a sign of the covenant? Well, their world, not much unlike our world, is obsessed with sex. And the primary symbol for sex is the male penis. Um, Some of the oldest cave paintings we have is male genitalia written on the wall. You walk into Calhoun, I was there... Last week, what's on the stall beside me? Male genitalia. Um, I don't know that we've really changed that much, um, to be honest. We we think of ourselves as more refined, you know, more dressed up, and and yet here we go, marking it on the walls. Um, People will come behind us and say, oh, that's odd, and then go do it themselves. Here's the reality is we're obsessed with sexual things. We're obsessed with sex. And you know what? Sex is a good thing. God says it's good in the right way, under His terms. It was going to be the tool that would give Him an offspring. And God says, Abraham, it's not going to be in your power. I want you to put a mark on the very thing that you think is most powerful in the world. Reproduction. Having a progeny creating life. And I want my mark to go right there on the most intimate, sensitive, most protected, watch soccer, um, (laughs) place on a male body. That's where I want my mark. I can't go into, for time's sake, how radically different that is than the ancient world and phallics and all this sort of thing. But God is saying, I want you to give me everything. I mean, if you were to do that, that's full commitment. I mean, you know what I'm saying? 99, that's full, you're, you're all in at that point. Doesn't that sound like the Bible's call to us? That's why Paul in the New Testament says, look, circumcision of the flesh, that was a sign, guys. The real deal is circumcision of the heart. God wants to cut away He wants to peel back the real you and expose who you really are, not who the world's made you to be, not who the world's beat you down to be, not what people say about you, but He wants to actually be the great physician. And He wants to circumcise your heart. It's not anything any longer, Paul says, about something physical. Um, he, He doesn't even circumcise Titus on purpose. To teach everybody, you don't have to have this physical procedure. It actually is pointing to something spiritual. You see, we are both physical and spiritual beings. And God wants us to be fully committed to Him. And that means going as far as even with your private parts. What you do in your private time. Who you are. What you do in your body. It matters. And here's why. Because we're not saved by thinking philosophical thoughts. 
We're not saved by obeying a list, a checklist of rules. Instead, we're saved by a body. Jesus' body saves us. It's not some kind of idea. God's not an idea. It's a person. Three persons, one God. And one of those persons took on this leaking, stinking body. He got his feet muddied in our world. Hands bloodied on the cross for you. And it's His resurrected body in a literal way. It's His blood, it's His body, His sacrifice that actually saves you. And it saves your body. One day your body too will resurrect. That's the good news. We can be put together again. We don't have to be divided We can be His image. We can be known as His offspring. He promises in Revelation to give us a new name. Name that nobody else has for us. You know, I'm a a big nickname guy. And I like to give names, I like to call people stuff that nobody else calls them. Like CPAP and Frank and Tammy. Nobody else calls people those names. And I think that's neat and unique of people that I love. God wants to, He has a name for you. I want to know what He calls me. It's not going to be derogatory. It's not going to be nasty and dirty. Instead, it's going to be beautiful. Because He loves us. He loves us and He's calling you to be greater than what you can be on your own. But it's going to take sacrifice like Abraham. It's going to take taking that thing that's most precious to you, the thing that gives you meaning in life, and giving that to God. And so God puts that mark on Abraham, and that mark represents full commitment. Have you been marked by the Spirit? Sealed with the Spirit? Entirely given over to God? You can. Even today. Today is the day of salvation. You say, what do I need to do? You need to get your body up and come down and actually kneel your body and your soul before your Maker. Before the Creator. That's why we talk about going to the altar. There's nothing magical here. Nothing magical. But it's getting your body involved, which gets your soul involved. Let me end with this powerful reading. You love Him even though you have never seen Him. Though you do not see Him now, you trust Him. And you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting Him will be the salvation of your souls. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ, the Messiah, within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's suffering and His great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preach in the power of the Spirit sent from heaven. And then hear these last words. It is all so wonderful that even the angels 
are eagerly watching these things happen. First Peter. The angels are looking on right now as we in our bodies, His image, His apple of His eye, standing here, sitting here in this place. They watch as you respond. Amen.